When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online, schedule package pickups through the dashboard, and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers, with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hi, everyone, and happy holidays. This is Andrew from the Agile Uprising, and today we're revisiting the 12 days of Agile. And today we're going to talk about Principle 10. So this is a reintroduction to this discussion between myself, James Gifford, and Troy Lightfoot. The Agile Principle 10, simplicity, the art of maximizing the amount of work not done, is essential. What a great topic. It was a great discussion with my colleagues. We talked about prioritization, refinement, different methods of prioritization, and really got into some pretty specifics around some of the techniques that we've used in the past that that have warranted some interesting outcomes. So I really enjoyed talking with James and Troy about various different methods and approaches. I even learned a new term, YAGNI. I hadn't heard that before. It's an acronym for you aren't going to need it. So I've included that in my, my vernacular when coaching teams or organizations. So I really enjoyed the discussion. Hopefully you'll all listen to it again and or for the first time and enjoy it as much as I did discussing it. Uh, we'd love to hear your input, your feedback, and continue the ideas coming. This has been a great platform to, to really ignite some really interesting discussions and topics of conversation. So I hope you enjoy it. I hope you all have a wonderful holiday through the season and look forward to uh, the next year and, and what greatness we can all bring when it comes to the Agile universe and change. Happy holidays and uh, enjoy the listen. This is Joshua Karajewski. You are listening to the Agile Uprising podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Agile Uprising podcast, and we're rocking our way through the 
12 Days of Agile. And tonight you're joining us for uh, good old number 10. And if you're singing along with the carol, uh, you're talking about 10 Lords of Leaping. And for us, we're talking about simplicity. The art of maximizing the amount of work not done is essential. So tonight we're, we, I have with me uh, Andrew Leff, and we also have Troy. So tonight, guys, you know, how many times have we been in, in a, you know, as, as, as coaches and even as, you know, scrum master or product people, how many times have we found ourselves sitting in one of those planning meetings and they're like, well, we've got a million bucks to do whatever uh, this, this uh, initiative is. And you're just sitting there, sitting there, and uh, Santeria is just starting to play in your head. And you're like, oh, these guys are going to spend that million bucks, and they're going to spend about mm, about a million more. So, you know, <laughs> when are we going to learn uh, when to when to say no? I mean, this the the value of this uh, principle is is about simp- simplicity. So, what in your experience? Um, have you done to you know help people understand how to maximize simplicity in uh, your agile careers? I mean, it could like we can get into take it down the rabbit hole of story mapping, uh, business cases, outcome templates, whatever direction we want to go with this. Um, I'm sure we all have a arsenal of tools in our tool belt that we've uh, we've used to help people realize what the simplest thing is. So they can actually maximize their value. Maybe we can start with story mapping. Uh, I've done it a bunch of times and I'm sure you guys have too. Anything you want to call out as far as story mapping and how you feel like it, it uh, pertains to this principle, how you feel like it is uh, ties back and, and really um, is applicable for this principle. So, so for me, I story mapping is, is my go-to tool. Um, and the, and the reason that I like the story mapping is, is it gives you a big re- visible representation of what the system should have by the end of it. And by seeing it all in there and being able to tell that story and have that discussion, you can come to some really quick um, potential trade-offs that you know you don't necessarily have to have it all in that first go. And you could do a release of it and then see if users are going to use it um, or or using the existing path and and even see if they want the features. And when I go to, um, we we were just recently working on a product where they wanted a print capability. Um, And how often do we use, you know, in the old days, how often do we use a print capability? But, you know, the customer said, we need to be able to print this. So to give them the simplest version of that print functionality, we literally just gave them a dialogue with print. Can't select any kind of printers. You can't add quality or like number of quantities. You can't change it to duplex. Just a simple, it's a dialogue. It prints to whatever your default printer is. And, you know, when we when we got back the click data on people accessing the print button, out of the 30,000 users that use the system or like sessions in that system, 150 of them actually used that print button. So we saved a significant amount of money not building out that feature. Um, and we ended up eventually just scrapping it because there wasn't enough demand. So th- that's a story where, where we were able to kind of see that in the story map and then go, what's the simplest version is? Can we do and validate that people are going to use it? Because we literally have, you know, 
fifty, sixty thousand dollars worth of work sitting here on the board. So I, I think you sort of I'll probably take us down a rabbit hole in a different direction or maybe out of the back of the rabbit hole. I don't know if there is such a thing, but um, when we talk about code, you know, it's, it's interesting when you're working with development teams and if you run this silly exercise where literally you give everyone a piece of paper and you tell them to draw you an S and make it in red, it's amazing the different interpretations you get of the type of S that they write. Some do this super elaborate Superman, some do this, you know, really ornate design. And all all you asked for was a simple S in red pen. So I think as developers being creative, they tend to want to make things more complex to almost, I'll probably get flamed for this, but show off in a way, right? I'm really smart. I can write really intricate stuff. But if you keep the code simple and easy, it it creates sort of that easier way to maintain and um, you can get it out the door faster almost to enable those, you know, again, sort of what you were saying, James, you know, we just want to do, you know, this simple thing, just print, do this, do that, and then we can add on to it. So it's, it's really keeping things simple and clean and maintainable. And then you can add on to it easier, quicker, and faster. Right. So I, I'll chime in on that one too, because I think this definitely applies. When I see this principle, I'm thinking about MVPs. I'm thinking about story mapping. I'm thinking about you know validating before spending a lot of money, that stuff. But I'm also thinking about, uh, as Andrew's mentioning, the technical side of it. Um, uh, you guys familiar with the term YAGNI? I don't know if you know that one. No, I don't. Um, That's a new one on me. (laughs) So YAGNI stands for you aren't going to need it. And basically that's kind of a development mantra for um, when developers kind of put hooks in for future stories or future features uh, when they're working on a particular story. So the idea of simple code, uh, simple design. So if you look at Kent Beck's simple design rules, you know, the first one is passes the tests, right? So all the tests must pass, um, reveals intention. So the code itself should reveal the intention without um, needing documentation, a lot of documentation or without a lot of comments. Uh, no, in, no intentional dupli- duplication of code and also f- fewest elements possible. So that fourth one of Ken Beck's simple design um, talks about this, right? We're going to do the smallest amount and we're not going to put anything extra because you're most likely not going to need it anyway in the future, right? So, <laughs> so uh, that's that's kind of what this is talking about. So that Yagni term is something um, I think is a kind of uh, it's easy to remember mantra. You know, you're, you aren't going to need it. So what have you used? And I know, Troy, you've worked with a lot of development teams. What have you used to sort of instill with a with a you know, whether it's one team or, or, or a few teams to support developers going down that path to enable them to, to sort of think smaller? Uh, well, I mean, one thing is splitting stories as small as possible. That helps. Um, also, test-driven development. I know, you know, I've worked with a lot of teams who don't do it, but I've also worked with teams who do do it and the teams who do do it you know, through that 
test-driven development cycle, you know, that last part of that cycle is refactoring, right? So when you're refactoring, you're thinking about these four simple, simple design rules, you know, and that's how, so that you're always refactoring. So you're always making the code clean and simple. And that's the, that's the concept behind it. So one of the things I try to do is instill the importance of test-driven development and why it's important. And it's not, you know, the tests are awesome, but it's more about the design. You know, it's more about getting through the design through refactoring, you know. Um, and once, hopefully, they kind of get that. I have some workshops. I have actually one of them, one workshop I do is on YouTube, um, which is about mob programming and TDD. In uh, that one, it, it was for non-developers, but um, the concepts are still there. Maybe we can link to it in the chat, but um, not in the chat, but in the show notes. Otherwise, you know, I do talk about that um, and about productivity going down over time when you don't do these things uh, because of technical debt, because of how difficult it is to make changes and, and code smells. So all of this is to kind of be able to be agile, right? To be able to change quickly. And without these, without these types of practices, you're not going to be able to do it. In fact, I, I told a story on the last podcast about a team I work with who didn't do this and they ended up having to rewrite a lot of stuff, uh, a lot of wasted time and effort. So uh, it's this, this principle number 10 is, you know, in my opinion, extremely important. Nine and 10 kind of go hand in hand when you think about it on the technical side. If you're thinking about it on the story side or feature side, um, it applies to both. Uh, what do you think, James? I mean, I, I absolutely 100% agree with you. I mean, I think one of the hardest things, though, to, to teach um, when teams are going over to Agile is the concept of, of throwing away code. So getting them to be able to embrace the concepts of refactoring, I, I can, it hands down, it's like, well, I'm just going to write something and, and then we're going to throw it away next sprint. Um, well, yeah, you are going to throw it away, but the stuff that's going to emerge out of it the next time is going to be better. So, I mean, that's been one of the biggest challenges working with teams, kind of getting them to understand some of the simplicity that it's, we don't need to gold plate it. Every time you split a story doesn't mean that you can add in that extra little bit of widget every time you're refining it. Um, you know, it it is about simplicity. It's not about gold plating. It's not about... You will throw away code, and that's okay. You will rewrite rewrite big sections of code, and that's all right. And you know, they, every developer that's ever come back with this argument, it's like, well, that's not as efficient. Like, if I write it all first and and think about these then things down the road, then you know, I, I'm going to be in a better spot. And so, it is a it is a total mindset shift. Um, so I, I do kind of want to drag us back up out of the technical hole here um, because I think as, as much as the, the product, as much as the development teams need to focus on this, um, I, I definitely see that there's a space for the product minded folks um, to, to embody this too. And, you know, with the emergence of the lean startup, so 2010, Eric, Eric rise or it was Eric Reese, Sorry, um, we, he put out that book and and started trying to change the the dichotomy of how we build and test products. And in this software industry, there are a lot of interesting um, products that have spawned spawned up out of uh, small startups uh, that 
quickly develop and move on to bigger and better things. We, you know, those, those unicorns. So, you know, starting to bring back in uh, a lot of Eric's concepts, like what are some techniques that you guys use to help people either do um, some level of prioritization? Um, are you using some types of templates like outcome template outcome? Uh, one of the things we did was uh, shift the business outcomes and I'll kind of go through that once I give you guys a chance to respond, but like what kind of things can you, give the product folks listening to this show at tool wise that, uh, you know, could be very valuable to help them bring the simplicity to the teams. So I don't, I don't know if I, it's a tool, but it's, it's more of a, a, a layer of thinking and, and maybe this is a non agile thing to say, but you know, the, the planning aspect of things and, and the user journey, understanding the user journey and understanding what, we need to build to support that. So I think understanding literally what what the software is accomplishing, what problems we are trying to solve from a business perspective can really lend itself to a much more focused sort of delivery or sprints or, you know, result. There's plenty of tools, templates, you, hell, you just write it on a piece of paper or write it on, you know, draw it out in, on a whiteboard. Um, it doesn't have to be fancy. It's just a matter of a lot of the, the teams that I work with, I'll ask the business or I'll challenge the business and, and just ask that question, you know, what problem are we trying to solve here? And, and I get a lot of blank stares. So I always find that to be an interesting exercise. And um, there's something out there, kind of a big movement now called uh, design thinking, If for those who aren't aware. So maybe that's something... I think that's kind of outside of the scope of this podcast. We could talk a lot about that, but I don't know. But basically design thinking is something that's um, heavily regarded as, I'm not going to say the next big thing because a lot of people are doing it already, but it's something that a lot of companies are doing. Um, also, if you, I'll give a shout out to uh, actually SAFE for this one. Uh, SAFE has these um, epic hypothesis statements, and I actually think that's a really cool thing. So. It's the concept of before something gets approved for budgeting, it has to be uh, an, an epic, for instance. You have to prove out a hypothesis before you get the full budgeting. And I think that's a really cool uh, thing. So if you just Google epic hypothesis statement safe, you'll find like a little template for it. And it, you basically have to just, you know show what the business, business outcome hypothesis is that you're going to meet in order for you to get like full funding. They have the same thing for features as well, but... I think doing an epic level is it would be a, sh a big shift for a lot of companies who are just used to funding projects. Uh, well, I'm going to absolutely agree with you, Troy, because that's one of the practices that I kind of I pr promote. Um, so we, I have a whole business outcomes canvas that that I use with with teams um, that go through a lot of the essential things of giving the team the context of what that problem statement is. Um, the and Basically, when the, it has measurable business outcomes in it, and the way the construct works is is that that business outcome actually becomes your epic, and all of the features and stories below that are are working to achieve some level of that measurable business outcome. So that way, as you as you and what we 
ultimately do is figure out what that epic or that business outcomes template is going to roughly cost. And we give you about a, a quarter's worth of money. And you're going to go out and work through um, what you think those top features are and, and come back and validate them um, as you go. And, and if you're not, if we're not hitting the targets on, on those outcomes, then most likely um, we're, we're not, this, this business outcome that you were thinking was, was either ill-conceived or not well thought through. And, you know, basically saying, okay, we're going to stop funding this and you need to go back to the drawing board. Um, you asked, you talked about prioritization as well. A couple things I've done. Um, I can give some tips. Two different products that I worked on, we did a Kano analysis on. Um, and I thought that worked really well for features and bigger stories. Um, I don't know how well it would work for like big epics, but for features and, and, and big stories, I think it works pretty well. So if you're not familiar, um, maybe I can put a link in the show notes for that one. Another one is um, cost of delay. So there's a lot of work by, you know, Don Ridenson's book, um, Principles of Product Flow, really gets into this. But cost of delay is a big one. Um, it's a great one for prioritization. And, and there's kind of a modified version of that called uh, Way to Shortest Job First. So I'm just kind of throwing terms out there. But if you're home listening, you can Google if you're interested in these topics. Check them out. Yeah, so it, it's just crazy how powerful a Kano exercise is. Um, being able to put down a you know a, a short description of a potentially functionality or a feature that that might be available to our users, um, and being able to get them to vote on what the exciters and delighters were. I mean that was that was awesome. That was true feedback that came back and, and helped us really prioritize. Well, with the limited funds that we have, what can, what can we build? Um, so I can see uh, how it adds a lot of value to even startups all the way up to, to big, large, large enterprises. And one of the things I remember about that exercise, James, is that there was a few things on that list that we thought, you know, the users would really want. And they were like really low on the priority list when we actually did the Kano analysis. So that ended up saving us money that way, too. So um, a really powerful tool. Um, called Kano analysis. If you want to look into it, um, basically it's a way to prioritize based on uh, user feedback, and it's and it's more scientific than just users want this thing or Moscow. There's some uh, some little scientific method to it uh, created by Dr. Noriaki Kano. In fact, when I do a lot of trainings, product owner trainings, and I introduce this concept of Kano, we do an exercise. Um, this is often the thing I get good feedback on uh, the most at the end of the training is, oh, I like the Kano exercise. You usually see a lot of sticky notes on that. So um, I, this is definitely one that I recommend checking out. So I have a question for you guys. Would you rewrite this principle any different? Hmm. Good question. <laughs> I don't know. So, the, you know, sometimes it's one of the few places you see art, like the word art, you know, is, you know, would you still use that word? Is it still sort of relevant in today's, you know, space knowing that, you know, this was written so many years ago, would you change it if you could? Yeah. Personally, I, I do like the way it's written. Although 
when you talk to people about it the first time they see it, they're not really sure what it means. I, I can say that because I've done a lot of trainings and normally when we go over this, it like we understand it because we know a lot about the different techniques for doing this, but people that are new to it, I think uh, I'm not sure how they're perceiving it because I, when I ask the question, what do you think that means? And they'll just kind of look at me a lot of times. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not sure. James, but, any I thought? Mean, I mean, I, you know, I, I definitely think that people get lost on, on art and maximizing the work not done. People, people definitely get completely lost on that. And, you know, it's a really eloquent way that they've kind of written this. Um, and I, some of it, there is still art in simplifying, you know, in simplicity and, and the work not done. But I think uh, in two, 2001 to 2016, it, there is night and day um, ways to test things. There are a lot more ways to validate assumptions because we've had, you know, 15, well, no, 16 years now to kind of grow and learn and, and have a lot of different thought process come in. I think it's very valuable. I, I, I still think that it still just holds it's, it's true. It holds the weight of, of what it was. I'd have a hard time rewriting this or wanting to rewrite it. I think that it becomes about how we teach it. And it's probably one of the big things that's wrong with the product owner role today and the way that it's trained or, or run at most organizations this value is is almost unachievable in most large corporations that I've I've been doing coaching at because of the simple fact that they're not ready to understand it. And that's why, you know, it's probably more prevalent for smaller companies. But in my mind, it this thing is is beautifully simple. Um, you just have to really dig into the meaning and want to actually understand what it is or have the right people teaching it. Yeah, good point. Yes. So literally, um, we're talking about sort of when we maximize the amount of work not done, we're sort of minimizing the waste, right? So literally, we're looking at, you know, a product being fit for purpose in that sense. So, you know, the simpler the product, the less there is to go wrong and sort of less technical debt incurred. If that makes sense. Not that I would rewrite it that way, but <laughs> yeah, <it definitely laughs> I, I absolutely love my, my comment there and I, I think it should be written. <laughs> okay. Um, so we are coming up on a half an hour guys. Is there anything else you wanted to call out when it comes to Um. So keeping in, in the theme of the um, 12 days of Agile, 10 Lords a Leaping, how would you write this? And I'm stealing an, an Andy Clefism here. How would you write this in regards to the simplicity, the art of maximizing the amount of work not done is essential principle? 10 Lords Sleeping. <laughs> they're, they're not doing anything <laughs> well that's one way to, to maximize the work not being done um, 
but yeah, I, I, the couple other ones I've done, I haven't been able to be creative with that either. So, um, no, absolutely not. It's like 10 Lords validating test. No, yeah. it doesn't work. <laughs> but, but maybe it's, it's something we could pulse the audience to sort of chime in on as well as if, if they had a different way to write this, this principle, you know, how would they write it? So, you know, a challenge for our listeners to, to see how you guys might, guys and gals may um, rewrite this principle or do you also believe it stands sort of on its own, even in today's current time? Well, hey, thank you. Thank you, uh, Andrew and Troy, for your time. Uh, thank you, listeners, for uh, listening in. Um, and, and check out tomorrow to hear those crazy 11 pipers piping. Till then, stay classy, San Diego. On the 10th day of Christmas, my true love gave to me. Ten lords are leaping. Nine ladies dancing. Eight men to milking. Seven swans swimming. Six crazy geese. Five golden rings. Four calling birds. Three French and two turtle doves. And a partridge in a pear tree.